things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Okay, hello and welcome to the Jack and Ollie Show, the early careers podcast with me, Ollie. And me, Jack Denton. And today we are with Rebecca Fielding. And we are with Mike Gray from Grad Consult. Say hello, people. Hello, people. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> really enthusiastic, like it. So this is our second double act, double act, which is uh, obviously busy for a small room, uh, which we're very excited about. So we're going to be talking about great university and employer partnerships. Now, shall we start a little bit in terms of who you both are, who Grad Consult are, and how you got to here today? Sure. So I founded Grad Consult about seven years ago. We work very much in the early careers talent management space and over the last seven years we've worked with about 50% of the UK's universities in terms of employability, employer engagement Mm -hmm. and then we've got um, now several hundred clients in the corporate space, SMEs and everybody in between. So we help them work better with universities and Mm -hmm. we help universities work better with employers, and that, that's us. That's perfect for the topic then. Yeah. <laughs> Even you think we were hand-picked, Oliver. Uh, almost, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Mike, what about yourself? Uh, so my background before joining Grad Consult was working in universities, so I worked at three universities managing employability schemes, placements, um, and you know that, that side of the industry. Um, joined Grad Consult about three and a half years ago, and I'm head of university partnerships, um, so I do a lot of work with universities, particularly on how best to engage with employers, how to build effective partnerships, and how to really sort of drive their um, activity and success. Nice. And the unis you were at were Brunel, Coventry... And Nottingham Trent. Nottingham Trent. Mm. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kick things off. I think we want to spend a lot of time today thinking about what uh, great university partnerships look like. Mm-hmm. So should we start there? Yeah. What do they look like? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, shall I kick off? So I think there's a, a couple of things, first of all, for me, that, that make really great partnerships. And that first thing is that mm-hmm. both parties have some key objectives in that relationship and they're both getting what they want from it. Mm. Um, those relationships that don't work are transactional. So, hey, let's have a waffle van. Let's pop up on campus. Yeah. And the university uh, you know, events team go, yeah, of course we can do that. Um, and there's no conversation about what they're trying to achieve by doing that, what their objectives are for the year, what kind of students they want to connect with and why. Um, there's no conversation with the university team about who their students are, what they're interested in, you know, where they are and when during the campus year. So for me, the key quality of great employer partnerships and relationships between universities and employers is an understanding of what you're both trying to achieve and then working on it together mm. instead of just taking your own agenda from one to the other. Who are the people that... Um... Who are the two people communicating? So within employers, who is it? Which part of the organisation? And then within universities, who are they talking to? Cool. Do you want to take universities first, Mike? Yeah, so um, interestingly, employer engagement as a function within the career service has grown massively. Um, right. So 10 years ago, when I was at Brunel, um, the employer engagement function was Beryl, <laughs> um, which is actually Brenda and Cheryl. They were a job share. Oh, great. Right. Okay. Nice. Really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah. two lovely ladies. And they, they effectively, their key role was to manage the careers fairs and, and manage bookings for those and, and some key events. Now, some of the universities we work with will have 15 account managers that 15? manage wow. key yeah. partnerships with, with employers. And um, effectively, the model's been flipped. So rather than 
just um, employers have a target list. Universities will have their top 100 employers. Mm -hmm. um, right. And they'll be literally account managing them and setting targets and, and working in quite a data-driven way mm -hmm. uh, to drive outcomes from those key employers. And that's like to get us... So it could be something like we would like to get a certain number of engagements with our target employers. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, for some universities um, at the higher end of the market, it might be the Times Top 100. So one mm -hmm. measure is how heavily targeted they are by the Times Top 100. Mm -hmm. But actually, for a lot of universities, their key employers won't be those massive brand employers. They'll be missing middle employers that may be large employers but aren't necessarily known brands mm -hmm. or even SME um, employers. So it's really important for universities that they understand who their target employers are, who actually they're going to have the most success working with them and you know where they should put their limited resource so in the same way that employers can't visit all 165 campuses mm. actually um, universities can't give the same service to every single employer that knocks on the door so um, employers might not always be aware of this but if you're on a target list of a university you'll be being offered a different level of service and different opportunities to somebody that just um, emails and says you know I've got vacancies in one advertising Right, right, really interesting. So, if you were an employer and you're looking to do, you know, build a relationship with um, uh, universities, there would be very likely a either a team or an individual who's responsible for that in the careers service. That's where it would yeah. be based. That's who you'd be looking to reach. Yeah. So, your employer engagement team would be typically your first point of call, and from there you might um, create relationships with particularly faculties or departments that you want to work with. Mm. Um, but it's always a good, you know, to. One of the key things you can do is actually have the conversation and, and use that expertise. Um, universities can be complex places, so trying to sort of uh, go direct all around the university can actually be quite challenging, and they can help navigate that and make it easier for an employer. Yeah, do they? Because it almost sounds like almost like it's centralised at the employer engagement team. Does does that always been the case, yeah. or has that always happened, or is that just a new trend that's been come about? So there's there's a whole range of models yeah. um, so I've worked in a central service I've ran a faculty service um, in my time in universities um, but one thing that is consistent is that there will always be a central career service um, mm -hmm. and given that particularly major employers tend to want to recruit across a range of disciplines um, often that's you know the starting point um, but there'll also be specialist companies working um, directly with a specific faculty or yeah, and, and I would say that's particularly true for faculties or specialisms that are very heavily targeted by employers. Right. So, for example, um, Rachel Mutters, who works in the engineering faculty at the University of Manchester, mm -hmm. um, heavily targeted, yeah. great students, engineers, very highly sought after because there's a STEM yeah. shortage in the UK. So Rachel has a very specific brief to look after that faculty of students. But if, mm. as an employer, you contacted the central service and said, I really want to work with, let's say, chemical engineering students, mm -hmm. they'd almost certainly and then signpost you to Rachel as the best person to talk to. So yeah. as Mike says, as an employer, if you're not certain, and it is highly complex, a, a lot of graduate recruiters, you know, are out of, not that far out of university themselves. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you know, their understanding of universities is often um, related to the university that they went to. Yeah. And they just vary so much in terms of the resource level, their geography, the number of students, the faculty structure, the school structure, all kinds of different stuff. So going to the central point really helps you to understand how that university is set up and who's best to help you speak directly to the students that you want to speak to. Yeah. Have you, um, so how, where has that gone, uh, worked well, I guess? Has there been a lot of companies you've seen that have gone through that process maybe and actually found that utilising that 
because I think we all agree that working better relationships between universities and, and employers is going to get uh, a better outcome in terms of the objectives. Yeah, so, yeah. Some great examples. You've got a couple, haven't you, Mike? Yeah, so um, if I start with the University of Leicester, mm. so one of the things that's, I think, changed in recent years is employers are moving away from sort of the vanity metrics of we want thousands and thousands of applications mm. mm-hmm. um, and actually thinking about how we can get potentially, I think the holy grail of employer engagement is less applications but more hires mm-hmm. from institutions. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Um, they will create a partnership development plan um, with an employer and typically they have two key objectives. Now those objectives are all about driving that conversion rate. So for example um, it's all about sharing data really. If the recruitment metrics are showing that um, their students are performing less well on video interview for example they will focus some of their activity on, on campus on you know, do, running video interview workshops yeah. mm. um, and actually potentially do less of the sort of standard brand building exercises mm-hmm. um, and actually maybe target um, specific um, courses or disciplines where they know they're getting a reasonable success rate so a couple of examples they um, worked with KPMG um, reduced applications by 29% and increased the number of hires by 136%. In one year. Wow. Yeah. Um, just just from that video just, interview switch? or well, Just from that partnership agreement, yeah. so those shared objectives of what's working, what's not, how did our students perform last year, where do we need to focus our efforts, right. and, and really then determining with the university how best to be able to address some of those issues. Um, so that's one example. There's another great example yeah. at Leicester as well. Yeah, it? so the other, one of the other ones was, was Enterprise Rent-A-Car, so they decreased the number of applications by 11%, and um, it, the highs went up by 136%. Now what they did... Boom! Is they, <laughs> what they did is they actually... Tar- they Enterprise do loads on campus. Loads, they're um, great. But rather than... Um, doing a spread of activities that actually focus more of their resource on, on working within the Skills Award. Mm-hmm. So they okay. actually delivered a module as part of the Skills Award. Now, the great thing about Skills Awards, which is something that employers should consider getting involved in. What are that, they? Um, so typically a Skills Award will be um, an extracurricular programme that is all about students um, developing their skills which are going to support their employability. Now, right. because they're extracurricular, those students that engage with those programmes are the motivated, engaged. Yeah, they're the good ex. They've yeah. already invested mm-hmm. in their employability yeah, yeah. and they're already engaged in the process. So it's a great vehicle for employee engagement because you're going to meet students that are the ones that are motivated, engage, right. and, and have already been developing their skills they're also usually the ones that have done the internship the placements so and they come from all kinds of subjects and backgrounds as yeah. well that's the other thing these okay. skills awards are often open to all degree disciplines and absolutely something like public speaking yeah like it might be public speaking it might be leadership skills it might be communication it might be about negotiation um there are all kinds of different subjects that might be within those skills awards and I mean, the structure of them varies slightly from one place to another. So some places they're run by the students' unions, sometimes mm-hmm. by central career services, sometimes elsewhere. But wherever you go, there's real added value, okay. and they're often open to students from and right across the piece. pretty universal. You'd find them in most Yeah, most pretty much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you wouldn't have done 10 years ago. You yeah. do now. They're, right. they're pretty much so everywhere. last year, for the first time, I believe, there's a conference specifically around Skills Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So, okay. so it's, it's definitely a, a growth area, and it's something universities are investing in a lot. Um, and it's, you know, it's also useful to note that actually most students, even in their final year, 
um, are still considering their options. So 48% of them haven't even decided what sort of sector and area they want to go into. Mm -hmm. um, so, so in the final year? Yeah, final year. Really? Yeah, when you look at the career readiness statistics, I bet, yeah. So, yeah. I bet it's also still pretty high when people have graduated. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the most interesting people I know are in their 40s and still don't know what they want to do when they grow yeah. up. Yeah. But we all know that, you know, you know whether we want to talk about millennials or, or you know, the new generations coming through even beyond that, they're, they don't like being sold to directly. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's much better to actually say, well, we're going to support their skill development. We're going to add value. Yeah. And through that, we're going to promote our brand. And obviously, students are going to get the opportunity to meet some of our team and yeah. understand a little bit more about us. And obviously, that acts as a brilliant soft sell of the employer. Mm. Um, but also, you know, it's adding value to the student experience, to the university. So that's, you know. It's, it's more meaningful, basically. It's more genuine yeah. and it's more meaningful. And um, students tend to be very brand cynical um, yeah. about most employers. And so therefore, if they can see an employer genuinely adding value to them without a direct sell into wanting to recruit them, it's a much nicer way to build your brand on campus. Um, the, the other thing that I'd mentioned, you know, when we're talking about great examples of university partnership, we've already mentioned, you know, Ashley Heaver and the brilliant Enterprise Rent-A-Car team. It would be remiss of us not to mention Kate Croucher and the incredible uh, FDM, FDM team. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they are phenomenal. And I think the one thing that I would highlight, particularly about their partnership working, are the reports that they produce at the yeah. end of every year, wouldn't you, Mike? Right. They are just absolutely invaluable. So, to, And they're invaluable to the... To uni the universities, yeah, right. absolutely. So at oh, the right. end of each recruiting season, they produce these amazing reports that say this is how many of your students applied from what courses this is how they performed in the process this right. is you know where they might have dropped out or how they could have done better here's some case studies and examples of your brilliant students who've come to join us um, so good, it's so yeah. helpful and i guess yeah. all that data is in their ats anyway yeah. they just yeah, need to absolutely. put it together and... yeah yeah and i think so i used to work with kate at mm. brunel mm. and i think one of the reasons one of the many reasons she's, she's brilliant is that she understands career services because she's, she's yeah. worked in the career service. Yeah, now, yeah. one of the, the things that can be frustrating for a university is you can invest lots of time supporting uh, an employer's campaign and promoting their events and getting the students to come to their events and promoting their vacancies and a whole manner of things, mm. which can be a significant um, amount of resource. Um, and then nothing you don't know what's terms happened of, yeah. terms of data. Now, <laughs> right you've got to be able to ideally be able to prove that we invested this time and effort with this employer and these this improved the outcomes in some way now um that sharing of data is massively important yeah. um because yeah. actually if, if you can sh show what's working with another employer that can be case study used with with employers in a similar sector mm. but it also just mm. improves improves the yeah. practice as well, well i think we at the new awards we had a student panel that spoke a lot about we love feedback we really yeah. want to get this feedback um and it's always difficult because some of the bigger employers have 10,000 15,000 applications it's not impossible to go back and give every one of those students a really good feedback mm. so from Kate's perspective there like how, how does that work because you're obviously going to have lots of students to try and appease maybe lots of universities to speak to mm. but mm. how do you do that maybe on 
uh, on mass or on volume. Mass. Okay, so I think the university reports are absolutely a vehicle for an employer like FDM to be able to provide the feedback to the university teams, who've then got you know teams of people yeah. there to support their students in mm-hmm. their thousands, and they can use that information, relay that message, to inform their guidance, inform their employability agenda, inform the support. So I think that's one of the first things that you can do is yeah. by providing that feedback to the institution, you have a much bigger ripple effect. Um, so it might feel like a lot of work at the time, but it can really make a difference when, when it's fed back into the institution. But the other top tip I always offer to graduate recruiters, because that was my background for a long time previously, was very simply to have tiered regret emails for your application form. Right. So instead of just really saying... Really sorry, okay. really, really sorry. Well, yeah, <laughs> really, yeah, absolutely. Really sorry. So actually the way it was, was, hey, you know, you scored above, thanks very much, you've been invited, top tier. Uh, the third quarter, upper quarter then of the regrets was an email that just said... That was, you know, it's a good application. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't quite good enough to get through. And generally, those people who score in this region, these are the kind of things that you can do to improve. It's about the advanced research skills. It's about doing X, Y, and Z. So, you know, about eight or nine bullet points, but letting them know that they were in the upper quartile and with just yeah. a little bit more polish, yeah, they would right. have made it through. The mid one saying, hey, this is the average. You know, you're quite far off the mark here. We'd recommend that you go and look at these sources online. You go and have some of this advice. Mm -hmm. Make a guidance appointment at your university. We think you'd find it helpful. Go to some skills sessions. There's a bit more work that you need to do here if you're really serious about securing an interview. Um, And then the bottom two, we were really clear and said, um, this is not good enough, and you are not going to secure an interview with this standard of application form. People in this bottom quartile, you need to go and get help from your university career service. Sounds brutal. It it was brutal, but and I was extremely worried the first time that I did it. And from a a candidate management perspective, so easy on my ATS, I just had, instead of a reject email button to press, had reject top tier, reject mid tier, and reject bottom tier. It's as easy as doing that. But the the feedback that we got from candidates was phenomenal. And it Mm. was almost university positive say thank you so much most people don't even acknowledge they've received my application for yeah. you to at least let me know where I've come is hugely helpful um, obviously some people followed that up because they really wanted much more specific and they say oh I want something more personal and this is just a generic email and we would often then respond say okay well you've made the effort to come back to us we'll give you a quick phone call yeah that's no problem that's great. but from yeah, yeah. Mo- most people were happy just to get that generic thanks for letting me know where I came but this um, comes to a lot of the stuff we were talk- you, were, you were talking about earlier in terms of reducing the number of um, applications absolutely. as well, because that obviously reduces the number of people that you disappoint. Absolutely. I, you know, whenever a new graduate recruiter says to me, oh, it's been fantastic, we've got this new brand, this new campaign, 3,000 people more applied, my first response is, that is dreadful news. <laughs> All you've done yeah. is cheese off 3,000 more people than yeah. you cheesed off last year. Yeah. Um, and you've wasted all of that time and all of that money from your organisation screening applications that weren't suitable. How is that a good thing? So absolutely, the university partnership stuff that we talk about is always about driving down candidate numbers in terms of applicant numbers and driving up quality and driving up conversion. Because what that really allows you to do then is have give a much better candidate experience, yeah. have more genuine conversations with people. Yeah, because the student side... They'd be delighted if they made one great application and got hired. Yeah, yeah, well, Uh, we all. Obviously, that is (laughs) quite utopic in thinking that way. (laughs) But I guess that's maybe perfection to aim for if we could do that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I think there's a flip side to the the data thing as well. So 
We've talked a lot about the importance of employers sharing data, but actually universities hold a huge amount of data oh, yeah. that is very valuable um, to mm -hmm. employers. So I run a course for the ISC on, on um, using data in your graduate recruitment mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of that is around talking about actually there's all of this data that's publicly available. A lot of it's online. Mm -hmm. A lot of it you can get if you if you speak to the university. And, and just to give you an example of, of a client that we are working with, so you know, actually understanding the data can actually you know really inform your targeting. So we had an employer that wanted to target um, math students from the University of Cambridge, like everybody mm -hmm. else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, now, no doubt, they're absolutely fantastic students. Yeah. Now I was able to tell them that there was out of those students, which is a, a relatively small group, and. Um, 60% of them are going to do a postgraduate course. Um, so that's the, the sort of... So only 40% of those undergraduates you're targeting are actually on the, on the job market anyway. And then of those 40%, the average salary that they were securing was £36,000. Well, um, yeah. Now, <laughs> the, the employer we were working with was paying um, low 20s. Yeah. Um, and the locations, which is another interesting thing, were mm -hmm. nowhere near... Um, Cambridge nowhere near Cambridge so um, graduates aren't particularly mobile now Cambridge is a slightly different beast because students yeah. come from all over the world to study at Cambridge but typically if you want to um, secure hires for a regional office you have to work with those regional universities Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 69% of students um, will get their first graduate job in the region where they grew up 69% well, that's, that's much higher than I thought that would be it's yeah. really it's much higher than any of us thought so Char yeah, right. the incredible Charlie Ball we've got to give a, a shout yeah. out to him um, in terms of the, the data that he can offer to graduate recruiters and the graduate market is incredible and he was able to look at graduate migration patterns get onto HESA Google HESA graduate migration data okay. and you can it's, actually get this incredible flow chart yeah. you see it, the migration patterns no not quite but it's like a, it's like a moving flow chart you put the region in <laughs> as you move your um, move your cursor over the arrow like the amounts of where they come from where they go to study and where they come back flows as you move over it and it's interactive right, yeah. it's really incredible right. definitely but, checking that out I yeah. mean this is one of my top one of my top tips for graduate recruiters again in terms of partnership uh, and really great partnerships is about geotargeting mm. so uh, most graduate recruiters inherit traditional target target lists and they work with those yeah. but specifically if you're recruiting for areas like Plymouth Newcastle Dublin whatever it might be um, use the data to inform that. So 69% of students will get their first job where they grew up or in the region that they grew up. Um, but that will vary from institution to institution and from region to region. Um, and you can use all kinds of data around average salary, employment levels, course by course, to help you inform your strategy. And I think geo-targeting is one of the things that product-based marketing has done for a really long time that, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to have translated over into recruitment marketing and attraction strategies. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. why aren't we looking at the hotspots and offices? Let's say you're a, a Grant Thornton, you're a PwC, you're an Ernst & Young, and you've yeah. got offices around the UK to fill. Mm -hmm. Why aren't we adopting a geo-targeted-led approach to our university strategies, looking at graduate migration, looking at where... Um, graduates are studying and the, the kind of distance travelled to where your offices are? Well, I think the perception would be graduates are, are more mobile than you think and all the geo location focus would be in the apprenticeship space 
because they're mm-hmm. far younger and less mobile. Mm-hmm. That would be, I'd say, the stereotype that yeah. I Yeah, hear. but also apprentices are actually slightly more mobile than people realise. Apprentices are more mobile. <laughs> yeah. So that was complete bollocks. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and graduates are much less mobile. So for yeah. years yeah. we've thought that. We've, and and I, do you know what I, I think it is? I think historically that was the case. I think this is right. an ingrained historical cultural thing mm-hmm. when the top 5% of people went off to university from middle-class families and mm. they all went to these affluent universities and they travel whatever distance to St. Andrews or Cambridge or yeah. Bath. You'd go to the best university you could and you would you would travel whatever distance to get to them. And those students still exist. But with the mass expansion of higher education, over 40% of our young people going into higher education, mm-hmm. you've now got people who are much more likely to be community students, much mm-hmm. more likely to study in the same city they grew up. The cost of education has increased significantly. And so we've got this huge number now of local students, commuter students, and students who are much less prepared or able to yeah. travel a long distance to get to university and much more wedded to their local area. So I think historically we think of affluent middle-class kids yeah, who would travel to go to university and then they had the means to travel wherever they wanted to for a job the student population is now very very different, very different to what yeah. it once was you've heard it here f- we say first we've broken this yeah. I think Charlie yeah. Ball yeah. probably yeah. 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 Well, we'll say one, of, one, of, the, one of the first places in the yeah, top, yeah. top five not, not sure he's been on the podcast has he so, <laughs> no he hasn't so you need me, to get him on he's amazing more, he hasn't broken it so we've yeah, broken yeah. biggest um, blockers to good university and employer relations and as part of that what are the biggest misconceptions that employers have about universities Um, I think it's an open dialogue so um, if you we create target lists for employers um, Mm -hmm. and one of the um, I would never give a target list to an employer and say we think these are the eight universities you should work with without having quite in-depth conversations with the universities and effectively understanding what service they can offer, um, how they envision the partnership working, and actually letting universities compete on the level of service they can provide. So there's um, sometimes you can just look at rankings or look at lists and say, well, based on this list, we should be targeting these eight universities. But, you know, without understanding how heavily targeted they are, um, and actually thinking about your regional mix, thinking about the course mix at those universities, um, you can be um, finding yourself as a potentially an also-ran employer at a university that's already saturated by demand. Yeah. And that can be, um, sometimes it's much better to be a mid-ranking university as an employer of choice, yeah. um, and that can really make a huge difference. So um, asking the right questions of universities um, yeah, makes yeah. a huge difference. So I, the first question I always ask universities this is the employer, this is the sector, um, here's some of their key aims, what would work best on your campus? So yeah. I don't go with a preconception mm. about, yeah. right, we've got this event that we want to run on this week um, with this group of students, and it just happens to be a reading week, students aren't there, but no, that's the date I've been given, we want to do it on that day. Yeah. Right, that yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. No, it's employers are like, this is my timeline, and, and, and no you don't have a right. And then it's seen as the university's fault. <laughs> Actually, yeah. obviously, you know, it's always, always been to pay it. So, right. an open dialogue, and actually, you know, what are your challenges, um, and what, how can we work together to sort of have mutual targets, and mm. then actually see how we can drive. What are employers? I mean, what are universities looking to get out of these relationships? Why are they employing fifteen account managers, which is costing them a huge amount of money? Why are they doing that to employ, improve the employability 
graduate rankings. outcomes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So more and more, the metrics that universities are measured on mm. um, relate to the, the clear destination to the students. And even now, the salary outcomes of the students are sort of five, ten years out. So mm. there's a whole host of data which I, I won't spend three days talking about today. <laughs> he would if he could, though. He's <laughs> <laughs> big on stats, isn't he? Big he on stats. He loves it. Like he loves it, yeah. Um, but... But yeah, universities are under pressure, particularly in the you know with the higher fees, nine thousand pounds. Mm. You go to an open day now, the vast majority of questions, particularly from parents, mm. um, but also you know is is actually what jobs the students going to get, um, what placements are they going to be offered, what links to the industry do you have, how they're going to be supported in that side of things. Um, so it's a massive part of the sell of going to university. Yeah. It's a massive recruitment tool for universities to be able to say, actually, we're really good at this stuff. Yeah, right. And that's particularly important because we're going through a demographic dip at the moment and will be doing for the next couple of years. Yeah. So we've got fewer and fewer young people entering, if you like, the HE market mm-hmm. that universities are competing for. And of course, the funding structure for universities has been changed dramatically. So they don't get guaranteed numbers anymore. Essentially, the more students you attract, mm-hmm. the more fees and the more money you're going to have coming into your university. Historically, that wasn't the case. They yeah. had caps. It was it was regulated. Right. And so when therefore, when did the caps stop? Um, 2012, 2012. 2013. Okay. Initially, yeah, um, yeah. Initially, it, oh, I bore you with it. <laughs> 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 you can go to Stato now, won't you? Stato. Slow ability stat man in the corner. But essentially, it means that you know they. All the things around longitudinal learning outcomes, which is Leo, and graduate outcomes are fundamentally um, worth a huge amount of money to universities, and that's yeah. why they're investing right. in growing their careers and employability teams. Um, I think there is also a genuine sense from an NSS perspective, a student satisfaction perspective, yeah. that increasingly for students this is really important to them. Yeah. And so therefore they are demanding visibility of those services and increased support as well. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of levers and pressures that are meaning this has really risen up to be a strategic issue amongst most university boardrooms, mm-hmm. which historically it ne- wasn't necessarily. You know, the careers office 20 years ago was perhaps a a much quieter much less visible place than it is today yeah Yeah. this is great though right it's a fantastic thing yeah Yeah. the whole idea of making sure employability is more part of the university experience is something i think all of us have been championing for ever since we've been in this market right absolutely Um, but then you've got a lot of the university and the students maybe doing more than they ever have Mm. in in this space Mm. so when do employers maybe not take advantage of that or not do it as as well or because mm. they obviously want to get out to the, the best candidates but mm. i think i think sometimes as we said the university market's developed so much um and some employers are very savvy in terms of all of the stuff that they can get support with in university and other employers still think it's their right, well, I'll put my vacancy on your portal and <laughs> yeah. attend the careers Chris, there. And that will and, do it. And if you're, yeah. big, if you're a big enough brand <laughs> employer, you're probably going to get enough applications, you're probably going to get yeah. reasonable hires. But for everyone else, you need to be a little bit more creative and proactive. So yeah. um, one of the examples I had from when I was at Coventry, so Cummins, who are one of your, yeah. um, mm-hmm. always in your list of top 100 placement employers, they were my number one placement employer, so I used to place over 20 students a year there, oh, right. um, Great. which is from yeah. my sort of engineering department. And uh, some of the things they used to come with me and saying, look, we've, we've inundated with applications for our sign roles, but actually we get very few applications for our quality roles. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I know 
from speaking to you that actually are some of the most interesting roles. Mm. But how will students know if you don't tell them? Yeah. So effectively, we got the head of quality in, the design guy in, the you know the manufacturing person, and effectively they did um, a quite fun and engaging where they were almost like pitching against each other, saying okay. he says design's fun, but actually all the, it's all the magic happens in the quality. <laughs> oh, right. oh, yeah, very cool. Yeah. And actually saying you know these are actually really interesting roles, and that meant meant that. It was great for me because my students started applying to the roles that other university students weren't applying to, mm-hmm. which gave me a competitive advantage. Um, but it was great for them because they actually diversified the, the, the knowledge of, of, of what, what was out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's, a, there's great examples of where universities are doing that. Again, employers could take more advantage of. So the University of Nottingham do spotlight on events, which are, are great examples of where they bring the big name in. Let's say it's engineering, so they'll bring a Jaguar Land Rover or Rolls Royce that mm-hmm. all the students will rock up for. Yeah. yeah. But then on that panel, they'll also have some incredible quirky SMEs or right. mid and middle manufacturers that, that students have never heard of. Mm-hmm. And if they were on, you know, a placement website or a jobs board, they'd never click on it because they've never yeah. heard of them. But there they are, and they walk out of the room talking about the quirky interesting little supplier or organization or or what was the the guys that you work with that i'd never heard of who were three times the size of a big name yeah 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 Yazaki. yeah Yazaki. Okay. so yeah they're two hundred fifty-eight thousand employees globally right um, yeah. massive uh, compared to jaguar land rover forty thousand. right well yeah so all the students turned up for jaguar land rover and they went oh here's these guys that we've never heard of yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like they've got all these jobs and who knew um and i think that's you know that's a great tactic for those employees who don't have a consumer facing brand mm-hmm. is partner up with those who do have a consumer facing brand at yeah, events because that's a good way for you know if you are the big guy so i used to work for heinz um, you know, we never had any problem attracting graduates to come and work for the people sure. who made beans and ketchup. Yeah. Everybody's happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. Everybody's happy about that. Do you get free Heinz stuff if you work at Heinz? You get dramatically discounted oh, right. in the in the staff shop. And I have to say, yeah. the day I left, yeah. my car could barely get over the speed ramp. I had yeah, that yeah. much in the boot. Yeah. <laughs> are beans expensive? Heinz beans are quite that's a uh, premium product I used to, uh, premium I, product I used, work, I used to work at a Britvic um, um, Britvic warehouse oh, it's a joke nice. it's because it's a no, set up it's for a joke no it would be but it's not <laughs> yeah and they used to have a they used to have um, a, a, a shop and they were massive discount all the ones that had fallen off the, the warehouse and they were all smashed up into pieces and they were pence to buy them yeah nice yeah. there you go broken biscuits if you're at Cadbury's well. <laughs> yeah right go. yeah so you know if you're, a, if you're a consumer facing brand and one of your challenges we get these mass number of applications and actually they're not alright for us mm. then talk to people in your supply chain talk to people who are your customers and do joint events together because that way right. they will get more of the applicants that they need mm. and you will get an opportunity to talk about what the differences in are in your role your culture your organisation so you get more students going to apply to the right places and improving their chances yeah because ultimately and all of those employers are looking for the people who are right, right for them then. yeah exactly, exactly. and they're not exactly. all going to be the same people and, and also you don't need to just do it with people who are in your sector so yeah. I think there's great events that have happened where you've got people from completely different sectors who've got different challenges so for example you've got one of the big manufacturing names who are predominated in terms of diversity by white males Mm -hmm. and and they've got a big challenge particularly in terms of attracting females to come and work for them Mm. 
yes, female engineers, everybody wants female engineers at the moment, don't they? My God. Um, but if it's if it wasn't just female, actually just a better ethnic mix. Yeah. And then yeah. you take that and you mix it with another big organisation who's cosmetics brands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? They, their big challenge, when I was checking to their, their head of recruitment, was I am absolutely full of females and gay men. I just want some straight working class blokes right. applying in terms of my diversity challenge, please. Mm. Yep. So they did an event together. Brilliant. That's, that sounds awesome. Isn't it? Yeah, so you had, yeah, they both yeah. came for the big brands, but they were speaking to a completely different audience than would normally rock up to their events. And I think increasingly, when you look at the IC data, we're seeing collaboration across the sector increasing. Mm. Um, I think that's only a good thing for the employers and for students and for universities because it really drives engagement with students as well, doesn't it? What do you think people don't get, the two groups don't get about each other? What, employ- what don't employers get about um, universities and what don't universities get about employers? I'm going first. So I I think often we're all trying to solve the same problems, but we're talking completely different languages. Right. So for example, uh, employers talk about social mobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, universities don't talk about social mobility. They talk about widening participation. Um, and it's exactly the same thing, but we're using two different languages. And yeah. I think that that isn't particularly helpful. Um, and we, we use language which is potentially opaque to one another. So one of the examples I always talk about is, uh, you know, you look at a lot of the employer literature and they'll talk about things like, you know, we work in diverse teams, really diverse teams. And what students in universities, or certainly the students perceived by that is, oh, that's great, you know, I don't judge anyone, I'm liberal, you know, I don't care who you play hide the sausage with, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what colour you are, you know, most, most students are fairly liberal, they're not bothered about this stuff, and that's what they perceive by diverse. Right. And um, what I actually meant when I was at ASDA was hey, real diversity in the workplace is, this is Maud, Maud's uh, 62, Maud is brilliant at her job, she's going to be your manager, or she might be working in your team, she voted Brexit, she didn't go to university, um, and she voted UKIP in the last election. Right. Mm. And, and just to remind you, Maud is, Maud is brilliant at her job, but in terms of diversity, she's from a completely different walk of life and background to potentially the one that you're from. Mm-hmm. And that's what we mean as employers by diverse teams, is you're going to yeah. be working with all yeah. kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life and background. And whilst universities are diverse, they're diverse within an intellectual bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And yeah, um, I think sometimes if we just spoke a little bit more straight talk to one another, so we talk a lot about radical honesty in employer marketing and mm. employer branding, mm. um, I would love to see people talking about all the things that um, are the bad things about their graduate schemes, not just all the good things, for example. I think a little bit of radical honesty would be brilliant. Flip, yeah. flip it around. Absolutely. Sorry I went on. Oh, yeah, that's good. Basically biting my arm off. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that is the first t- time the first Hide time. the Sausage has come out in the oh, podcast Oh, there you go. Well. I always totally. like to bring a new phrase. Yeah. yeah. I hope, hope yeah. not the last time. <laughs> 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 that appears in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, oh, it's getting cut anyway. No, no, that's staying in. That's... <laughs> um, what is it that um, employers don't, don't get understand. about... Yeah, they don't get about each other. The two groups, so yeah. employers and universities, what don't they understand about each other? So one of the things we spoke about was language. They use mm. a different type of language, so therefore... Um, sometimes they're talking about the same things or things that sound similar but totally different Yeah. and there are other things that they just don't really understand about each other which if they did it would make life a lot easier yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think one of the things is that 
things, when employers come to you um, as a university, they will, if you're a Russell Group institution, every employer, the blue chip employer they work with, will be coming to them saying, right, we really want to focus on diversity this year. <laughs> and, right. and, you know, you've got 100 employers that suddenly want to work just with your students from you know, an ethnic minority background, or just with student, just with every every company I spoke to in engineering wanted to work with my twelve mechanical engineering students um, <laughs> that were female. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. if you're all targeting the same target pool, that target pool's not grown. It's just the same target pool. Now, if you want to recruit a diverse cohort, you have to work with a diverse set of institutions. Mm. You can't just work with the same partners. And just set new new targets. You have to um, diversify talent pool. So the employers that um, deliver uh, di- end up with sort of um, the mix that they want are working with um, a really wide range of institutions who have that diversity. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really important, particularly around social mobility as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about graduate mobility. If you want to recruit students um, from a wider participation background, they're even less likely to move um, across the country for a role. Um, so looking at sort of actually thinking about what are we if we're, if we're really serious about solving these problems, then we've got to you know think about who, who should be our partners for these particular projects, um, having regional attraction strategies, and actually even potentially being prepared to be flexible in terms of recruitment process. So um, I know, for example, that um, Kingston University, some of the employers they're working with, actually adapted the recruitment process. They removed the application form and actually had the university doing screening interviews um, because they wanted to recruit a more diverse cohort of students, okay. mm-hmm. um, putting them through to assessment centre um, and actually that increased the, the number of diverse hires they got from that institution. And that's quite radical. Yeah. Um, and I'm not suggesting that that's the answer for all things, but actually you have to be prepared to be flexible if you want to achieve different results. Yeah. Otherwise you will so, achieve similar results. So I think all that, that sounds great. And I think if, if you're uh, an employer listening, you're thinking, well, I'd love to be doing all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> However, <laughs> I'm a small team. Yeah. I am time poor. Yeah. I physically can't get my team out onto all these campuses. Oh, I can't get myself out yeah. onto all these campuses. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you know, it's, it's trying to strike a balance. So yeah. how, does, how do you find they can do yeah. that? Yeah, so, so having a wild card... Um, institution introducing a new wildcard institution yeah. to your target list each year. Do you yeah. call them the wildcard? Yeah, well? we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we say give yourself a wildcard. Why not? Yeah, yeah. and and actually, um, as an employer engagement team, so the employer engagement teams are actually targeting employers and saying we can be your wildcard institution. Basically. <laughs> yeah, um, give let's us a prove chance. what we can do. Yeah, let's, let's that's prove great. What we can do um, because actually, um, those universities will then be bending over backwards to deliver um, great results for you. For, your, for you as an employer. Um, now, one of the challenges when we speak to employers is they say, actually, I really want to work with a, um, some new universities. I know there's talent in every university, but actually my directors you know, all went to you know, a certain select group of universities and they want us to keep targeting those yeah. specific institutions. Um, how do I um, prove to them that this is something that we should be doing? Now, one of the great tools that's freely available is LinkedIn Alumni App. So mm. you can look um, on a university page and you can type in the company name. And this is a free service. It's not a paid-for service by LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And you can see every person that went to that university that works at that company. So if you are going to, as an employer, saying, well, actually, 
Um, let's take Nottingham Trent as an example because I think they're absolutely fantastic. And you happen to be an alumni. And they're a client. <laughs> I love Nottingham Trent. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. If I was allowed favourites. Nottingham Trent. You know, you, you could actually see that, you know, although we're not formally working with them, and actually we haven't had a brand on campus, we haven't engaged in events, we've got 30 staff that have actually come from that fantastic institution. <laughs> um, and, and that could be a really useful implementing tool. But on the other side for universities as well, if you're speaking to a graduate recruiter who might have a year's worth of recruitment data to look at, you can say, well, you know, actually we, we have got lots of graduates from our institution that are, you know, some of the very senior positions in the organisation. You can actually name names. Yeah. Their names come yeah. up as well. Right. You know, it's, your boss actually came from my university, don't you know? Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I think there's there's lots of tools out there that can really inform that practice. Yeah, I, I would definitely then, if if I were in that job and I wanted to go and do that, I'd be using that information to approach those alumni within the organisation, and I'd be breaking the rules a little. I'm a great yeah. advocate for bending the rules and breaking the rules. So I haven't got the resource in my team. Fair enough. I'd go and approach somebody. Let's say it is Nottingham Trent, who I can see who's a graduate from Nottingham Trent, and say, hey do you fancy going back to campus yeah. and just mm -hmm. doing something a bit off the books? Just going back to talk at your course to your students and see whether or not we can just bump up and increase the, the, the number of applicants we get from there this year. Mm. Entirely off the kind of graduate recruitment cycle and graduate recruitment books, potentially. Mm. Um, but it's not taking me any time. It's not taking me any effort. Most people love to go back to their own institutions. They love to do that. And use your existing graduates and students as well. It doesn't need to be your team that does all this stuff. Yeah, it's like champions. Get yourself a team of champions. It works better as well, I think. Yeah. Um, they prefer to see people doing the job than the recruiters, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And as you know, Ollie, I'm pretty pro placements. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, one of the many ways that I encouraged employers to consider you know, developing a placement scheme, the first way was saying you don't need a scheme. You need a role need that a actually um, can be done by a student. and it is, So that's how you start. And then obviously when you start saying, well, actually, this is fantastic. We, let's take 5, 10, 15 students. Then you need to develop a wraparound scheme to, to support it properly. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, then you've got ambassadors in the final year of a course yeah. talking about your company, possibly doing their dissertation about your company, engaging with their classmates. They you know, can be absolutely gold dust. Gold dust. They're, they're literally... Yeah in the field as your moles in the course that can <laughs> like, on your behalf um, and yeah fantastic brand ambassadors for you so that's yeah. you know placements can be a great way to do that so for companies in particularly in you know um, areas where there is real skill shortages so you know prospect soft software engineering um, they would get nowhere near by their own admission the amount of talent they've got at the price um, they can afford to pay um, without having a fantastic placement scheme yeah. and effectively growing their own. Mm -hmm. So you can't expect to cherry pick the best talent at the end of a university experience without investing and supporting and helping grow that talent. So are there any things that um, employers um, don't really um, do very well in terms of their relationships with um, universities? Um, I think some of the sort of simple things that are quite easy to fix mm. that, that can go wrong and can potentially damage a relationship and a brand on a specific campus are when um, they don't necessarily read the instructions. So universities are trying to do 
things differently. They're trying to do engaging events. Now, you may have a standard graduate recruitment presentation that you deliver at five universities, but if the event is a day in the life of, a, of one of your graduates and the other companies presenting give a real great insight into the projects they're involved in and you turn up and do your standard sort of here's our values, here's our brand, here's how you apply to our graduate recruitment mm -hmm. scheme, um, it's going to look quite bad and you're not going to get the level of engagement and actually it can be quite frustrating um, for, a, for a university if they've designed an event in a specific way and then the employer is doing their own thing basically <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and that, that can reflect on the career service as well as the employer. Um, it can be little things like you know you book a space at the careers fair and an external supplier brings your stand that's like four times the size of the space <laughs> yeah. you've been allocated right. and, and wonders, wonders where the 16 plugs are they need for their um, <laughs> amazing popcorn machine or whatever it is. Yeah. And so that's a big popcorn machine then. Yeah. 16 yeah, plugs. Yeah. <laughs> but, they, but they haven't necessarily you know, responded to the email said do you need plugs? Um, yeah, 16 please. Yeah. 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 specific place in the... Uh, but, you know, I think there's, you know, universities as well actually um, asking lots of questions and understanding what the employer really needs mm. rather than listing products. So we talk a lot about moving away from a product-based approach where you say, right, we've got these 10 different types of events, these five different types of internship schemes. Here's a huge menu of options. We'll expect you to understand exactly what we mean, even though every university calls the same thing something slightly different. different yeah. Um, to actually saying we're going to act as much more sort of a consultancy way and say, yeah. right, okay, what are you trying to achieve? What are your challenges? So for a, uh, an employer that's got not got a big employer brand that struggles to attract applications, that's a very different challenge to an employer that's inundated with applications but's really struggling to fill their technical back office roles. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand what their pinch points are and you can, as a university, help solve those problems, then that's the start of a great partnership mm -hmm. rather than a blanket approach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We um, spoke in the, in the last podcast with Helen Alkin mm -hmm. uh, and we mentioned uh, careers, sorry, employers being more like careers consultants mm -hmm. because they're having to mm -hmm. advise a lot more mm -hmm. than they probably used to have to because mm -hmm. it's so more complex. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I would, if I were thinking of one thing that I would use as a, a story to bring to life my experience as a graduate recruiter and, and linking back into that conversation we had earlier about um, hidden talent pools and, and diversifying where mm -hmm. you're going. Um, you know, I, I offer the example of being on one of the Red Brick universities on one day when I was a campus recruiter yeah. and I was in this tiny little room, middle of nowhere. It cost me about £800 to be there to do my standard presentation, etc., yeah. etc. Five people turned up because it was such a heavily targeted university. And when you look at the metrics and the data, all the students that I wanted in terms of profile, academic profile, were there in the numbers. You know, that, that's where I should have been. That's what the data would say. The following day, I was up, and I'll name this university because they were awesome, was Northumbria University. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and now the data would say that there were nowhere near as many of the high academic performers at Northumbria as there were on the campus I'd been on the day before. But my 
goodness me, what an experience in terms of great employer engagement. So we walked in and the, the name of the business was everywhere. There were over 100 students in the room. They'd handpicked right. and invited some of their best students to stop and have lunch with us afterwards. And I would say universally, almost all of our hires came from Northumbria that year. Yeah. Because on paper, perhaps there were less of the stars at Northumbria than there were at the traditional institution we'd been at the day before. But we had our pick yeah. of them. We had our pick of them. And I absolutely would echo what Mike said. There are stars at every campus in the UK. And what you were saying earlier, Jack, you know, we're all looking for different people, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Um, go, go out there, fish in some different farms, try wildcard, look for some hidden talent. Um, and if you need to break and bend the rules a little to be able nice. to do that. Well, that was uh, <laughs> going to come to your, we're going to wrap up with your, your top tips. Ooh, yes. So was that, well, you sort of given a few top tips away there. Yeah. Um, rapid fire, but yeah, what would, would be your top tips for all the listeners in terms of making a, a great university and employment partnership? Um, one of my top tips would be to sort of understand the data, um, but also treat your university contacts as experts on their campus. Ask them questions, actually get them to advise you what's been working on their campus, what other employees are doing, and um, really benefit from their expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Tip number two comes from me, and that's gen- develop genuine relationships with universities. Mm-hmm. Don't just rock up with your waffle stand or whatever it is. And uh, and then go away again. Best place you can go in the UK every year for one day is AGCAS Heads of Service Conference. Every single yeah. head of service in the UK, careers and employability service in the UK, in one place. Notice. I used to be there as a graduate recruiter thinking, where is everybody else? Yeah. I'm meeting everyone at the same time and finding out what's going on. So if you take one thing away as a recruiter, go and do that. So that's tip number two. Yeah. Go on. Um, you know, if you really want to impact diversity and social mobility, which is the top of lots of employers' agenda, you do really need to work with a diverse range of institutions. Um, on the flip side, we, you know, it's obviously clear that you can't work with 165 institutions. So if you are looking to recruit 10 or 20 graduates, you know, work with a select group of institutions, but actually build um, deep partnerships so you can actually get the benefits of those relationships mm-hmm. rather than spreading yourself too thin and it being too surface level. Um, Tip number four, final four one. Tips. Wow. Yeah, this is the final one from me. Is uh, talk to the universities about the talent pools in their institution that are under targeted. So if you if you are trying to find software engineers, but you're open to people from any degree discipline, mm-hmm. for the love of God, don't go and try to target software engineering courses. There's you and a thousand other employers banging at that door. Yeah, actually talk to them about which other courses are being heavily targeted by employers. Go and talk to the criminologists, the lawyers. The um, English students, history, English history, brilliantly employable students, they are not heavily targeted by employers other than teaching. Mm -hmm. So get in amongst it if you're looking for marketers or buyers or whatever it might be in your open 20 degree discipline. Go to the subjects and target the students that nobody else is talking to because you're going to have your pick of that talent pool just like me at Northumbria. Right, so here we are at the end of the show. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I've been Jack. And I've been Ollie. And that is the Jack and Ollie Show. Bye. Bye. <laughs> good. Yeah, great. Uh, that was excellent. Yeah, totally yeah. good. Thank you so much. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.